Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Roethlisberger, forced out of the pocket, steps deep left. Fires could be intercepted, picked off at the 45-yard line. That ball was picked off by the Raiders, and the Raiders will have a first down in Steeler territory. Trayvon Mullen, the first interception of the season for the Raiders, and Trayvon picks it off. You're probably wondering... Why are we starting today's show with something that happened a couple of weeks ago against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that was obviously Brent Musburger uh, calling the interception by Trayvon Mullen. And um, before we get to why, I want to say hello to our good friend, colleague, co-host, co-pilot, Lincoln Kennedy. How you doing, my brother? Vinny, what's up, brother? How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing Excellent. good. Uh, you, Everyone, just a reminder, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Wednesday. My days are all jacked up right now, Lincoln, because you know, um, as a player, you just get into a routine. Certainly. And you're, you're, the game, the day of the game predicates everything that you're doing that week, including us, because we're going to practice and all that. But there was no practice today. Normally today is the first day of official preparations for a Sunday game, but the Raiders are playing on Monday, so throw everything out the door, and all your days are all screwed up. The Raiders will be back to work tomorrow on Thursday. Uh, did you like it because you got the extra day just to kind of, you know, recuperate a little bit? Or No, no. Well, I mean, look, you you always take a, a day off, and, and in my experience, especially with Gruden, um, when we had days like this, when we won, he would give you a, a see you Wednesday call. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. so you have, you have a little bit more extra time off. But, you know, the thing is, is that, as you mentioned, the routine that you work yourself in with a normal routine, a normal schedule, um, all of that has been thrown off the first month, if you think about it, for, for the Raiders. I mean, they start the season on Monday night. Then they have to fly back to the East Coast and play a 10 a.m., essentially a 10 a.m. football game against the Steelers. Then they fly back and play a Sunday afternoon game, which you're thinking you're going to get a regular schedule. Now you got to go back to a Monday night. <laughs> so, right. So, so you, your whole schedule is off. And, and, of course, you know, all the guys that you would like to play in prime time every chance that you have. But it does throw off your regimen. It does throw off your schedule. And, but, but because this team is so banged up uh, in so many ways, I'm sure they'll take it in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, although it's just, I don't know, uh, even for me, I'm still working and still writing, <laughs> even though we're not going to practice. And I would imagine as a player, I don't know, you could uh, talk to this uh, better, talk about this better, but uh, are you actually just taking it? Do you ever really take a day off where you're just, you know, sitting by the pool or sitting in the bed, just kind of chilling and relaxing? Or is your mind still working overdrive? on next opponent, what your responsibilities are, and um, you know, getting your body right and all those type of things. The way things are today are a lot more uh, – things are a lot more accessible than, say, when my game was because we would have to stay in the facility to watch film unless we took tapes home. Right. Now that you have them on your iPad or you know, whatever, whatever they're passing out, their, their Microsoft Surfaces, you could take it anywhere you want to. So your day is spent – today would be almost like a, a, an extension of a Tuesday – 
if you know what I mean. And yeah. Tuesdays are typically the days off. So today would be a little bit of an extension of that. And, and again, knowing the amount of injuries that these guys have and the amount of fatigue that they've had, I'm sure that Gruden's been a little bit more forthcoming with, with you know, time off than, than say, in a normal presence. Yeah, without a doubt. So to get to the uh, top of the show, uh, obviously played uh, sound of Brett Marsberger and Lincoln Kennedy calling uh, the interception by Trayvon Mullen. Last week, uh, not this past week, but the week before that, uh, against the Pittsburgh Steelers, where I wanted to start today's show, Lincoln, was just how good uh, this Raiders secondary is right now. And I know it's just three games, and obviously things can go one way or another from here, or Stan Pat. I think the Raiders would take Stan Pat uh, without question. But I, I go back to June or July 27th. The Raiders are, it's the eve, basically, of training camp. And it was the first time we spoke to John Gruden since minicamp and OTAs and everything. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to get a state of the team. You're trying to ask him questions. This is before, you know, the night before training camp officially starts. And one of the subjects was the secondary. And John Gruden was, uh, I mean, he literally said, I'm fired up about the secondary. Uh, if any, any reiterated, look, if I was a Raider fan and I'm coming out to practice, I would focus on the secondary. It's going to be a strength of the team. Uh, and, and if it's not, then we made some serious mistakes around here. And it was, I wouldn't say stunning to hear that uh, back in July, at the end of July. But it was like it raised some eyebrows because, Lincoln, you, me, the whole world that understands anything about football understands that the secondary was a major weakness last year. And here's John Gruden before practice even started, just basically going off of what he saw in OTAs and minicamp and uh, you know, understood about, about this roster. He predicted that this was going to be a strength of the team, the secondary. Three games in, Lincoln, it's hard to argue that John Gruden wasn't spot on in that uh, regard because – You've got Casey Hayward, who right now is ranked number two uh, in terms of cornerbacks by Pro Football Focus. You've got Nate Hobbs, the rookie from Illinois, who's ranked number seven uh, when it comes to cornerback, or excuse me, eight when it comes to cornerbacks in the NFL. And then you've got Trayvon Mullen, who's ranked number 21 by Pro Football Focus when it comes to cornerbacks. Lincoln, there's no team that has two in the top 10. And there's definitely not uh, – there's not even two that, that, that – or, or a team that has two in the top 21, let alone three, or let alone two in the top 10. So um, you could say what you want about pro football focus, but, you know, they're, they're typically on top of things. And for this secondary to be ranked as high as it is in the cornerbacks – and I'll get to the safeties here in a second because it's, even that is pretty good. Trayvon Morig, uh, I think, is ranked number 52 out of about 100 uh, safeties, but he is coming off his highest-graded game last week. He was at 75.9 uh, against the Miami Dolphins, who so his best game overall. Uh, if, you, if that number were to stand pat throughout the rest of the year, that would put him in the top 10 of safeties. And then you go to uh, Jonathan Abram, who's ranked, I think, 40th among safeties right now out of 100, and you say, okay, well, that's okay. Yeah, but think of it this way. He was last year ranked either the second or the worst corner or safety throughout the season last year, grade wise, um, all the way down in the you know I think it was at last year it finished out like about a hundred safeties that they graded, and he was you know one hundred or ninety nine throughout the year, so it was really bad. He's made significant improvements at least in their eyes. So I'm throwing it to you, Lincoln. Um, how surprised are you by how good this this secondary is playing right now? Not surprised at all. 
I, I think the biggest surprise will probably be how Nate Hobbs as a true rookie is playing. But look, I, I thought Trayvon Mullen took a step in the right direction last year Agreed. and his yeah. growth mm-hmm. uh, and where he is right now. And of course, Casey Hayward is, a, is an all pro. So his consistency just proves how much of a pro he's been throughout this time in the league. I still think Jonathan Abram has some growth that can be that has to be developed. More importantly, you know, if you take a look at, at this last game in Miami, when he had Jacoby Brissett dead to rights in the middle of the field, and he got shook out of his shoes. That shows that tells you right there that you have to try to find a way to curtail his aggression, right? Because he's always going for the kill shot, and he's so far over his heel. I mean, over his uh, hip, hips, over his uh, uh, um, hips, not under him, uh, extended. That when somebody makes a move on him, he gets shook, right? Okay, so that's a development issue. That'll come, and I'm not really worried about that right now, but that will come. Um, but, you know, when you talk about the, the overall secondary, I think Morig still has some developing to do as a deep safety. He's coming along. And, of course, when they have that single high safety, it's really a whole lot of space to play with. It's not really fair to, to put a rookie in, in that position and expect him to always do well. So that's going to come along. Um, but overall, the secondary is not really surprising. It really isn't. Just the fact that you have a true rookie who's playing the way he is in one of the more difficult positions at nickel nickel corner, that is, is, is more of a surprise to me than anything. Yeah, and credit to Nate Hobbs uh, for you know just, just looking, acting, and playing the part of really a, a, almost a seasoned veteran. Like, right. you, 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 don't, you don't look at him anymore uh, as, as a rookie. And I felt that from him. Really early on, there was just something about him, Lincoln, the way he carried himself uh, on the practice field, the way he yeah. spoke. Um, I go all the way back to draft night, you know, when when he was kind of explaining his story and where he came from and all the obstacles that he had to overcome. There was the caller yesterday from Kentucky, uh, which is where he's from. Uh, this was a guy that uh, he was headed to, I think, like Bowling Green or something, in Miami of Ohio, one of those type of schools. Before late in the game, like right in closing time, basically, mm-hmm. Illinois with Levy Smith comes in and, and swoops in with an offer. It was his only Division One offer. He accepted it. Um, and, he, and, he, and he thanked the Raiders, and he said, look, I'm going to remember all the guys that were drafted ahead of me that I thought right. I'm just better than. And, you know, they're going to get the best underdog that they uh, ever got. And he's been true to his word. It's just really... It's it's cool to see a young player that kind of is able to just blend right in, and I'm sure you've had in your experiences rookies that just came in, and, and you could probably tell as much as you hated rookies, Lincoln Kennedy, there were probably a couple of guys that broke through pretty early, uh, even with you. Well, yeah. I mean, when we drafted Seabass, you know, the reason why we drafted Seabass with a first-round pick is because we needed a kicker, and he immediately paid off. Um, you know, Charles Woodson. Immediately paid off. Came in as a starter. You know what I mean? A future Hall of Famer, obviously. Um, so yeah, there were there were guys that contributed. My thing is this: is that you know a lot of times there's so much hype that are put into rookies. Uh, and, and the high expectations. It's really not fair because much like we talked about rugs last year when it came to receiving, and they, they wanted them all to be like the the receiver out of uh, the Minnesota Jefferson. Is that his name? Uh, the, Justin the, Jefferson. Yeah. 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 They wanted everyone wanted to be that. It's just not that simple. It's there is a learning curve, and and it takes time. And having gone through that, especially as a rookie, I know that it takes time. You know what I mean? So um, my thing is this: is that you know when you look at this team and you look at where the secondary is playing. It's well that it's good that they're playing well um, because they are going to be tested in this whole long season. So we still got a lot of game to cover. Yeah, and we can't lose sight. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but we can't lose sight of 
there's a synergy that happens on defense, and it has to be. It's a complementary uh, aspect of defense, and it really does start up front. Um, you know, I even talk, or, or I think of it along these terms. You know, the Jacoby Brissett play where he completed the fourth and twenty. It can't happen. Mm-hmm. We all know that. Um, but it wasn't like last year, Lincoln, where you know, uh, and I saw it every every game that I covered, where quarterbacks could just sit back in the pocket, order up a latte um, and a and a blueberry muffin back there, and just right. you know what I'm saying? Like they had all times, all, all all kinds of time to throw and carved the Raiders up as a result. Even on that play, um, if I remember it correctly, there was pressure. They got pressure on him. He just did a really good job of, of dealing with it and sidestepping, yeah. you know, and, and making a play, and it happens. Yeah. But it wasn't like like if you were rolling your eyes over that, to me, you were rolling your eyes for the wrong reason. It was just a good play by the quarterback. You can't let that happen as a defense. We understand that. But it wasn't like he was just sitting back there doing whatever the heck he wanted. So even that looked – uh, a little bit different, but I guess the point I'm making is that whatever the secondary is doing, and they're playing, you know, lights out right now, especially Casey Hayward. But none of that happens either, though, without what's going on along the defensive line. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, it, the key to this defense, this style of defense, is being able to generate pressure with the front four and allowing things to happen in front of you instead of allowing things to develop behind you. And, and look, there's been limited success with teams taking deep shots. They're available if you have enough time and if you have the wherewithal to put it up. But, you know, just like we're talking about the secondary, Trayvon Mullen did you know, a great job in last week's game of recovering one time when I think it was Fuller or one of the receivers had him to the inside on a, on a deep angle route. He did a great job of recovering, disrupting the pass. So that just shows you right now, you know, what, what he's available to do, um, you know, and, and when given the opportunity. Yeah. And, um, you know, I wrote a story today about the secondary. I got asked a few questions, um, you know, over on Twitter. Well, what does this mean for Damon Arnett? If only Damon Arnett could be playing good. I think Damon Arnett's in a kind of a difficult position um, where he, he, he's he's almost like that pinch hitter that comes off the bench in baseball right now. Right. Like you got to be ready, and it's not the, as as easy as you as you think it is when you're not in the rhythm of a game and you're you're over sitting on the bench, you know, uh, or, or or trying to take some swings. Uh, in the in the indoor batting cage, and you're just trying to stay ready, not knowing. And and there's times where you think you're going to be called. No, nah, not this inning. You know, then you got to wait a little bit longer, and and it's just a mental challenge to stay ready uh, because you might get get a call in a moment's notice. And it's kind of the same right now with Damon Arnett. His opportunities are few and far between. The players that are that are ahead of him are just playing well. There's no justification to take Hobbs or Hayward or Mullen off the field at any moment. Those guys are playing lights-out football, really good football. So his opportunities are extremely limited. And when he does get called in, um, you know, generally, and I would do this too, he's going to get picked on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. And I agree with you, Vinny. The fact is, is that depending on the Hayward situation contractually, this might be a great year for Arnett to push it because he's going to be on the team for at least another couple of years. Right. You know, he's under contract. And there's really no reason to put, to push it. And depending on the, the contract situation with Hayward, if you can develop this young man who was a first-round draft choice, who was used to playing press corner at Ohio State, which is what the cover three requires, especially from the outside corners, then you could probably develop him into a good corner. It's, it, might, it might take time. There might take instances where he plays like a, a Nate Hobbs with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, saying that I'm going to remember everything that, that happened before and go out there and play really hard. And, of course, teams are going to pick on him. So when you show up 
and you defeat that or you beat that or you make big plays, then teams are less likely to go away from you like they are in many cases against Trayvon Mullen. Yeah, um, a couple things on that. Uh, we all remember the, the the big plays that he's given up. He gave up a touchdown or excuse me, the two-point conversion uh, on a, uh, you know, he's just in the game and all of a sudden, boom, you know, it's a two-point conversion and um, you know, he, he got, he got, I, I won't say played. I don't like to use that word, but he got beat, uh, you know, the wide receiver. The, the whip route, the whip route is one of the harder routes to, 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 to defend against. I mean, yeah. honestly, when a guy's acting like he's going to go on a slant and he comes back out, you saw Arnett reach to pull his Jersey. Right. So he could have very well easily got called for a defensive holding. If it wasn't incomplete, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's really hard to defend and you've got it. And it just takes experience. It just takes routes. It just takes reps when you're in game time situations, when those guys, and obviously, film study, understanding that, hey, this might be a route that he's pretty good at, a whip route, when you fake like you're going inside and all of a sudden you go back out really quick. And we're only talking about two yards. So it, it was really difficult to be in that position as well. Yep. And here's my thing. Like, I'm not ready to write off Damon Arnett. And I don't think Raider Nation should either. Will it work? I don't know. We'll see. I mean, a lot of that is on him. He's got to he's got to battle back. He's got to fight through it. Um, he's got to take advantage of whatever opportunities uh, he gets, um, as limited as they might be, and as you know, difficult a position that he's getting put into sometimes. Because, like we said, they're going to go right after him, like right off the bat. But you know, behind the scenes, and this is where I say, hold on just a little bit. And Lincoln brought this up. Um, the development side that you just don't see all the time because it's not, it's impossible to see. You have to be in the building, um, follow, you'd have to be in the classroom. You have to be out at practice day in and day out, uh, all the walkthroughs and everything like that. Um, what he's observing, what he's doing, what he's being taught, what he's retaining, all of those things are an ongoing process right now. And he's being taught by a very good teacher in Ron Milas and, for that reason, for who's teaching him right now, what he's observing, some of the talent that he has around him in like a Casey Hayward, uh, who's been very, very forthcoming and giving in terms of, you know, imparting his knowledge to these young players. That was one of the reasons that he was brought in here. Um, let it play out a little bit and see what you do have uh, down the road. And down the road, I mean, knock on wood, but down the road, Lincoln could be... Monday, if somebody goes down or if somebody gets injured at some point. Well, like it's been in this in this instance throughout the year when somebody, you know, when Hayward got cramps. Right. Or Mullen came down awkwardly and had to go in and fill for him. Yeah, it's, he's, that, he's that third corner that they're going to right now. And, you know, again, we remember the, the uh, uh, you know, the, the, the plays that he gave up. He's also made a couple of plays yeah. as well. Yes. And it's important, you know, to remember that. So, you know, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I've seen some of these things on Twitter. Oh, he's trash. Oh, get rid of him. Oh, he has no business being on an NFL field. Push the brakes on that uh, and let it let it play out. Because to me, he's in as difficult a, a situation as he is or position he is in, in terms of having to be ready to play in a moment's notice. That is a, a, a tough position to be in at times. But I think in the big scheme of things, He's actually in a pretty good place right now because there's no pressure really for him to be out there, play in and play out, which could, you know, um, expose some things that he's not ready for right now or whatever the case might be and, and could crush him uh, in a lot of ways. He's not in that position. The Raiders don't need him to be an all-pro cornerback right now. They've got their all-pro cornerback playing at an all-pro cornerback uh, level in, in in Casey Hayward and a really good one opposite in Trayvon Mullen and a great, you know, young slot cornerback in Nate Hobbs. 
So the pressure's not on, which means he can he can kind of grow and develop a little bit behind the scenes. And, and Lincoln, maybe that's what he needs right now. Look, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I think that, first of all, when they drafted him and they put him in Paul Gunther's system, it was the wrong system because they were asking him to play a lot of six, a lot of quarters, a lot of you know two, which was not his strength. He's a press corner, a press man corner. That's what he is. Uh, and that's what he developed, and, and that's what he came to learn in college. And I had the utmost respect for him, especially watching the film and seeing where the Raiders draft him because he was a corner that was used to getting his head around and looking for the ball. When playing press corner is one of the more difficult things to do. I know a lot of coaches don't coach it these days. They try to coach, you know, play through the receiver when the ball comes down, and he's done a, 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 a pretty de- decent job at that. You know, you look at the, the play that he got burned for in Pittsburgh. It was just a receiver making Claypool, I think it was, made a better play on the ball. He was right than- there. He was right there, but he's right there in position. So yep. that's that's what you want. So especially when you're playing press man. But as far as the development goes, because it's so hard to develop in this league, it's so hard for for people to sit there and say, "Well, we got a whole time." I like I said, I go back to the the what possibly be the case uh, Hayward situation with him when it comes to contract. He might be a one year wonder for the team. They might not want to sign him back because of the amount of money he might ask um, uh, for as a you know respected veteran corner that's playing at a high level. Um, they might try to go to Arnett, and this would be a great learning lesson and a great opportunity for Arnett to make the best possibilities, the best situations out of his uh, his opportunities. Yeah, and to um, Lincoln's point about being asked to do something that you're really not you know necessarily good at. In reverse order, uh, you know, the Rams a few years ago traded for Marcus Peters. And uh, they also coincidentally uh, or, um, you know, simultaneously had brought in Wade Phillips as their defensive coordinator. Well, Wade Phillips is a 3-4 press cover guy blitzing, need those two guys on the corners to be able to, um, you know, hold down the fort on their islands as man-to-man cover guys. That's not Marcus Peters' game. Yet for a half of a season in 2018 – that's what Wade Phillips was asking him to do. And if you looked at the grades, the performance, in, in every measurable way, Marcus Peters was just getting toasted on a weekly basis, giving up a lot of yards, um, a lot of catches, not making the interceptions that he's kind of known for. And, you know, he never griped and he never complained, but everybody knew that he was not being used correctly. And I give Wade Phillips a lot of credit because – he finally said on the back end, look, I'm doing this guy a disservice. You know, um, I'm asking him to do something that he's not very good at, and it's my job as a coach to get that fixed. Well, the second half of the season, it was right after the New Orleans game where he gave up a, a game-winning touchdown uh, to Mike Thomas in kind of an embarrassing fashion. They switched it all up and played to his strengths, and over the second half of the season, he graded out as good as any cornerback in the league, made some huge plays, um, and got back to being Marcus Peters. Now, they ended up trading him a year later because they went out and got the ultimate <laughs> lockdown corner in Jalen Ramsey in that, in that whole scheme of that deal. But it just shows you, Lincoln, that you know we blame the player. We're quick to blame the player because what we're seeing out on the field, but somebody like yourself who understands football at a whole other level can also say, wait a minute, you know, is it really fair to judge him based on something that he's being asked to do that he's just frankly not very good at? He's much better doing something else. I've always believed the true strength of a coach is to find a way to best utilize the strengths of their players within their system or create a system around the strength of their players. Either way. Does that make sense? Yeah, without question. Um, so, you know, here's the thing. If you have a press corner 
who all he played in college was a press corner, and then you bring him to the next level and you tell him, they, I want you to play in space of the zone, isn't that, that that's a little ass backwards to me. Why would you draft him? <laughs> You see what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't you draft a corner who's used to playing in space yeah. rather than someone who's playing pet? So, right. so I, I think it's coming along the right way, and I'm looking forward to seeing the development overall. We're going to go to a break in just a second, but let me ask you this. Is this defense, what they're asking the cornerbacks to do, more conducive to what he does? Yes. Okay. So Absolutely. So he's got, you know, he's got that also going for him, uh, and he's developing under a really good coach in Ron Miles and alongside – uh, a very good one in Casey Hayward. So if 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 he's got anything in there, I actually think that he does. Uh, this could be a situation, or or, or he might be on a track uh, to really you know maximize things if he's willing to listen and learn and do what is necessary uh, to get there. A lot of it is going to be on Damon Arnett. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, nine twenty a.m. on a Wednesday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny and Lincoln on the Sam and Ash text line at 69187 or tweet them at Vinny Bonsignor and at LKennedy72. This is In the Huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. That is right. This is In the Huddle. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila in Bajador, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Wednesday. My days are all screwed up. The Raiders are playing on Monday, uh, not Sunday. So today we'd normally be at practice. We're not. It's another day off. They start practice tomorrow on Thursday. It it just throws things uh, out of whack. I don't like that. Uh, I like routine Lincoln Kennedy. And um, so, but we got to get used to it. And I can't wait for Monday night uh, at SoFi Stadium. The Chargers hosting uh, the Raiders in a very key divisional uh, matchup early on as it might be the three and O Raiders against the two and one chargers. Uh, I cannot wait uh, to be at that game and somebody that I believe will be there. If the Dodgers aren't playing in some crazy one game playoff or some <laughs> nutty thing that might be happening in major league baseball. Cause uh, things are getting hot and heavy yeah. uh, in the national league West between the Dodgers and the hated San Francisco giants. Uh, is a good friend of mine, uh, one of the best writers on this planet. Um, you guys know him as the columnist for the Los Angeles Times. He's also uh, a staple on ESPN's Around the Horn. To me, he's a friend, but also somebody that I completely look up to. I'll read some of Bill Plasky's columns and think, why don't I even try? I can't do that, what he does, because he's just so darn good at it. But he's such a gracious human being that... You can't help but love him even when he's just crushing you uh, with his uh, turning of words. But Bill Plaschke, uh, thank you so much for spending some time uh, with us in the huddle. Truly appreciate it. Miss you, my friend. How are you doing? What's going on, fellas? Vinny, we miss you. You're killing it. Vinny, you are killing Lincoln, I'm sure you know this. Vinny, killing it out there. James, <laughs> your stories are tremendous. L.A. misses you, Vinny. We miss you in the press box. We miss you in the practice field. L.A. misses you terribly. L.A.'s losses, Las Vegas' game. I'm serious. You are missed, my friend. You are very... You are very much missed. You are such a presence. You're such an NFL cornerstone out here. When you left, it was like, what? what, what is is an emptiness that has not been filled yet. Well, I appreciate those kind words. And coming from you, uh, it means the world to me. So thank you very, very much. Uh, and um, in addition to talking about uh, this big game that's coming up and everything else that's happening uh, in the world of sports, uh, especially that, uh, that great uh, playoff chase uh, in the NL West, uh, we're also going to talk about this tremendous book uh, that Bill wrote. It's called Paradise Found. Uh, and if you remember back in 2018, 
there were terrible fire, fires uh, in California, um, and one particular city was hit uh, tremendously, and and basically the whole town. It went from like twenty thousand people in this town to two thousand uh, people. It was a devastating situation, but this little f- high school football team. Um, kind of saved the day and stepped up to lead the way back. Uh, and Bill Plaschke uh, was able to, to hook up with this team and, and, and write a great book about those experiences and, and how it really did lead a town uh, back up on its feet. So we're going to talk about that uh, in a second. But Bill, obviously, a huge football game uh, coming up on Monday night uh, at SoFi Stadium. A little bit of a surprise in who the characters are as far as where they stand uh, in the whole scheme of things, whether you're talking about the AFC West, the AFC, or the NFL. These are two pretty good football teams right now uh, in the Raiders and the Chargers. Um what are you expecting, A, in terms of atmosphere at SoFi Stadium and where that crowd might slant uh, Monday night? Oh, Vinny, Vinny, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. You lead me on, Vinny. You lead me on. <laughs> well, first off, I'm expecting horrendous traffic. Yes. Horrendous parking. Vinny, get there. And if you're going, get there early, early, early. I get there. I got to the Rams game. and I've been in both the Rams and Chargers games this year. And I get there four or five hours early. You have to, and the parking is, is a disaster. It's 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 terrible. It's hard to get into. Once you're in, it's a great it's a great place. And you've been in SoFi, right? Then you've been there. Yep, you absolutely. In yep, we were there yeah, during so. uh, preseason, and then last year when they played the Chargers. But there were no fans well, there last well, year, so we just were able to kind of just do whatever we wanted. But yeah, I, I well, felt it in the preseason. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And you know this would be and that's why you asked the question. It's going to be a confirmation again of what team everybody argues and talks about. What team owns LA? Is it the Rams? Is it the Chargers? The team that owns LA is going to be out there Monday night, and that's the Raiders. Yeah. The Raiders still own LA. They're going to be overwhelming. There was there was eighty percent Cowboy fans there the first in the Chargers home opener. It'll be it'll be all Raider fans. It'll be it'll be it'll be LA. I mean, it'll be it'll, again. It'll be the statement that LA is still very much a Raider town. The Rams are getting better. Stafford's got a lot of excitement going. Herbert's got some excitement for the Chargers. This is still a Raider town, and it'll be it's hugely Raider fans. It'll be it'll be crazy. It'll be, and you know, everybody talks about fights. I, mean, I, I think that's again. I think that's a very stereotypical of Raider fans. I think Charger fans are just as likely to fight. I mean, we've seen Rams. You've seen Vinny Rams and Chargers. Oh yeah, fans get fights. So there there'll be fights, but I don't. I'm not so necessarily not necessarily saying they're going to cause Raider fans, but it's going to be Raider Nation. It'll be. There'll be as many Raider fans there, I bet, as we're at the home opener at your at your stadium in Vegas. Wow. Honestly, it's, wow. it's going to be crazy. Yeah, it's be crazy. And I know that's music to uh, Lincoln Kennedy's ears because he's a Raider through and through. I'm used to it. <laughs> San Diego was always a, a, our ninth home game. What do you want me to, <laughs> yes. what want me to say? <laughs> that, that's true. And uh, I know he's probably not going to like what I'm about to ask here because uh, uh, he would love it for it to be a Raider town and a Raider home game. Uh, every time the Raiders go down to uh, LA to uh, to play the to play the uh, Rams or the or the uh, Chargers for that matter, but I got to ask you, and you wrote a uh, a great column uh, coming off that first that it was the Cowboys game uh, about the Chargers and the atmosphere and you know where it tilted decidedly to the Cowboys, um, and I 
would expect that that's going to be the case game in and game out. I mean, I was looking at their schedule. They play the Patriots. They play the Eagles. They play the the Giants, the Raiders, obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs. These are teams that have rabid fan bases that, A, travel, and, B, many of them, many of their fan base, moved to California and are in Southern California and can just drive to SoFi Stadium to see their favorite team play. So um, it's not a good situation for the Chargers from that respect. I truly believe they're going to play 17 road games this year as a result. So having said all that and acknowledging all that and, and understanding that it's what the Chargers face, is it ever going to get better? Are they, can, we, can we say that they're on a path to creating some sort of a niche in, in Los Angeles where that won't yeah, always I, be the know, case? I, actually, I think, I think they are, Vinny. And you saw yeah. some of this last year. They're, they're, they have to win. And they've got a good team. You're going to see this Monday night. They've got a very good team, very good quarterback. They got a very good defense. They got a very good team this year, and I think if they continue to win, I think they will eventually. They and I think Lincoln, you know, referred to him in San Diego. Nobody really recalls him that anymore because I think being in a new stadium, they have a new stadium, they have a new quarterback. Philip Rivers is gone. There's only two Chargers left from San Diego on this team. I think they they're, they're starting to look and sound more like an LA team. Unfortunately, that LA team would be the Angels or the Clippers. But it's still an LA right. team, so at least they've gotten. I think they've, they've shed the San Diego moniker, and I think they're going to be better. And I think if they just keep winning, as you know, Vinny, better than anybody, you know, in, in this town, you got to win. And, oh yeah. And if they win, I think they will get their fans. It's going to be a slow process, though. It's still, and I thought it'd be. I thought being so far would be, make it quicker. Not really. You'll see it Monday night. It's still going to be a very slow process. But I think they're on the right track, and I think the Chargers. I think they got a better team than the Raiders. I think they got a much better team than the Raiders, actually. I think the Chargers. Whoa! You saw them against Kansas City. I really no. I really think they're they're a different team. Herbert's really. Yeah, he is. I mean, I, I would take him over Carr right now, in in a heartbeat. And and so I think the Chargers are pretty good. I've been warning Raider Nation that this is not a gimme by any stretch of the imagination. This is a no, good football not, team out there. Not playing. not at all. I I would be surprised if the Chargers win this game. Honestly, I mean, again, it's going to be a road game for them. But they've they've made they made sizable improvements, you know. And and Mike Williams is you know where do you see him? He's like a whole another person. We've been waiting for years to see him play like this, you know. And, and Austin Eckler has been great. And again, so I, I just think I think they're on the right track. But it's going to be a Raider crowd. It'll be definitely a Raider crowd. And Bill, I've always to, well, I was I'm just going to say no. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Interrupt. Go ahead and finish your point, bud. No, I was just saying how many. What do you have any guess? And what percent of LA LA people drove over were LA fans at the Raiders home games in Vegas right now? I mean, is anybody guessing? A lot, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah we see it. We see, you know, they, they that's From all why, over. Yeah, that's why Las Vegas is was such a great location for yeah. them to land because it's proximity to LA and Southern California, the Inland Empire, you know, Riverside, all of that. And also, it's a short flight from the, the Bay Area, which a lot of fans stayed on that, too. But in addition to all that, there really is a market here in Las Vegas that's growing and growing and growing. A lot of Californians are moving out here for obvious reasons. So um, even locally, it's starting to uh, emerge as well. So it's a really good spot for, uh, for, we, for the Raiders. We've heard stories. The stories we hear are about this bridge. That, that, that there's like some bridge. Yeah. yeah. That goes across. The bridge is like either... Depending on the point of either a nightmare or a circus or a party, <laughs> it's like it's, it's the most distinct thing in the NFL. This, 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 what what we're hearing here is horror stories. Frankly. Well, I, you know, I, I've done the walk. Here. 
I've done the walk. Um, okay. BYU was playing Arizona, and, and so we did the walk. I wanted to check it out. It's not far at all. It's just right across from Mandalay Bay to um, right. across the way. So I can imagine, um, you know, when uh, when Raider Nation is is uh, is out and about and uh, coming over from the Strip, uh, it could get a little bit dicey. But they've done a pretty good job, uh, Bill, of securing it and um, you know and uh, and making it safe and, and make it more of a festive, fun uh, atmosphere. But Lincoln, you had a question. Well, I was just going to say, Bill. You know, you you're watching this Charger team, and look, I was one of the guys who thought that because it was due to mismanagement. No offense to Anthony Lynn, but his head coaching mismanagement cost them games last year. They would have been in a lot better position than they were than they ended up. That now that they've got a little bit more structure and a little bit better management so far in the, the, the games that I've seen, that you have a quarterback, you have an offense, you have a defense that's always been strong, you have a chance. Do you share those those same thoughts? Yes, I think you're exactly right. They they seem much more composed. They seem more directed and, and – and Brandon Staley is making good decisions. You saw what happened happened Sunday several times. He put the ball in Herbert's hands. He, you know, in, on fourth down or on third and long. He, you know, he he led Herbert. He went for it on every occasion because they trust Herbert and they trust the offense. And the team is just they're just they're just, yeah they're just they're just more they're just more direct and more focused. They're they're, they're more disciplined. It just seems it seems like they're a completely and it's a coaching. I love Anthony Lynn. But I don't think he had a hold of the whole team. And I think Brandon Staley does so far anyway. You know, because Brandon Staley's a, as you know, as you, as you know, Brandon Staley, he's a Sean McVay disciple and he's, you know, he's kind of a very enthusiastic guy. Very, and so I, I just think that, yeah, I think it's a whole different charge. You would see a whole different charge team than you've seen before. Well, and I think that's good for the AFC West. When I look at the the, the Chiefs, you know, I'm not ready to, to to say that this is no longer their division, but they're showing some flaws. They're not a perfect team by any stretch of the imagination. You can make an argument that they should be 0-3 right now. Um, you know, they kind of came back and beat the Browns, but I think there's an opportunity, whether it's for the Raiders or for the Chargers, uh, to maybe nudge the Chiefs aside. It's hard to do what they're in the middle of trying to do, go to a third straight Super Bowl, and Lincoln talks about that all the time. It's not the easiest thing in the world. There might be some hangover uh, involved, and that could open the door uh, for, for the Chargers uh, or or the Raiders. And how crazy would that be, uh, Bill? Um, the, the Rams right down the uh, the corridor are probably the, the favorites right now in the NFC uh, to go to the Super Bowl. It's a long way to go, but you could project that. You could definitely see Matthew Stafford, Sean McVay, and that, that group uh, reaching the Super Bowl. How crazy would it be if somebody – if one of the three t- other, you know, one of the other three teams that was supposed to go to Los Angeles ends up playing the Rams in the Super Bowl, how how nuts would Los Angeles be if that, that were to happen? That would be nuts. And, that, you know, and that's funny you mentioned. Everybody's talking about nobody's talking about Rams Chargers Super Bowl. Everybody's talking about Rams Raiders Super Bowl. <laughs> that would be that would be the Battle of L.A. The Chargers again aren't really you know as constant yet. That would be the unbelievable. By the way, it's, I love listening to you talk football, Vinny. I don't know if you know this. All these years together in the press box. I'd come down and talk to you before the games and during halftime. I'd go right to my computer and write down everything you said and put it in my column. So, it did look familiar I sometimes. I've been doing for me for years, and hearing you talk football it just reminds me of those great days we had together. We so, did have a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, we did have a lot of, uh, a lot of fun together. Um, yeah, you know, Lincoln, i got to tell you, Vinny's an institution. He's a, he's a Southern California football institution. He's one of the reasons football came back, so... Well, you don't have to remind me. He's he's been uh, since we've begun to know each other, working together the last couple of years. He's I've gotten to know all of that and then some. He's a wealth yeah, of information. Yeah, he's, 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 yeah and, and 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 that and that's why Vinny does it feel like you're covering 
I know you're in Vegas and you're a Vegas guy. Doesn't it feel like you're covering an LA team still? Yes, uh, it, it does. And, and I'll also add, add this, uh, Bill. Las Vegas is literally, it feels like a suburb of Los Angeles. I'm telling you, my, I got DirecTV, right? I get the Laker channel. This is for no extra cost. The Laker channel, the Dodger channel, the Angels channel, the Anaheim Ducks, you know, all of all of that. Really? Yeah, the Clippers. All of that is part of the the local basic package that you get, you know, uh, with cable. Now, granted, you also get the, the, the San Diego stations and the Bay Area stations as well. I don't know why, but, you know, that's just the way it is. So when I come home from work and I put the Dodger game on, I feel like I'm in Los Angeles. And... You know, I tell the story all the time. When I got here and went to the DMV to get my driver's license and all that, um, I looked to my left, and the two people to my left were from California. And then I looked to my right, and the two people from my right were from California. So there's so much of an influence here of Southern California moving out to Las Vegas that you literally feel uh, like you're like you're in California. So that's that's been a cool thing. It's just but those summers. This, but you had this great place. Near the beach adventure. I know, right? I know. So funny. Don't remind me. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought about that uh, quite often over the summer because that's when it—that's when you know you're no longer uh, in California. Well, Bill, real quick, I gotta. Is, 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 is very lucky to have you. Go ahead, ask questions. Yeah, I gotta ask you this real quick because we are talking about Anthony Lynn. I saw um, his name pop up uh, as far as uh, USC, maybe a, a potential candidate for the USC football team. There are a lot of Raider fans that are huge USC fans. We both know that. What the heck is going on uh, over at USC? Well, I wrote I wrote the column that said they need to hold they need to make an announcement today, firing Clay Hilton today, um, and, and several hours later they made the announcement firing Clay Hilton. So I feel I love Clay Hilton, but but I but I feel like it had to be written and it had to be done. So they made the right move in firing him. They're going to be a mess the rest of the year. But the, but but the, the, only, the only way they had a chance to do anything was to get rid of him. I think. My, I'm thinking they're going to go after someone like James Franklin. I yeah. think that's, I think that's that's. I don't think, I did, I have not heard Anthony Lynn's name for that. I have not heard it, but I, I but they're they're going to go after a big big name, and I think it's a big. I think it's a good job. Heck yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good job. It's one of the top three jobs in the country still with the NIL and all the endorsements these kids can have. They can recruit anybody if you know if you get the right coach. So they're going. To, I I thought they should have gone for Stoops. I don't think Stoops wants to come back to retirement. So I think I think somebody like James Franklin is what they're what they're looking at. They're looking at somebody somebody really big, a big name, a great great recruiter. And they but right now the best team in town is UCLA. Yeah, UCLA UCLA is really good. They are really good. Well, Derek Carr was in Vegas. Bet them. Bet, Derek bet Derek, Derek Carr would say that it's Fresno State, um, and he wears that proudly. Oh uh, wow! That Ev- was, I was at that game. Fresno is good. Fresno. <laughs> yeah. Fresno yeah, the prison maybe the best team in California. Yeah, he 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 he's he's owning it, and he's trying to get the word out. Like every time we talk to him, he's like, "Don't forget Fresno State." If I'm a kid in California, word, I want to go to Fresno State. <laughs> the word on Derek around the league is that he's really one of the nicest guys. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, guy? he is, and and um, you know, I think they've. I, I've always felt like it was more. The Raiders didn't right, do right by Derek Carr than, than Derek Carr not doing right by the Raiders. And now it seems like John Gruden and Mike Mayock have kind of figured it out with what they've put ar- uh, around him. So it's nice to see that people are understanding the guy can play quarterback, and he is. He's one of the true gentlemen. Bill, I know you got to get out of here real quick, but i got to ask you if you could just uh, quickly explain, uh, explain Paradise uh, Found, the great book that you wrote. Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah so, 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 so basically the town burned down. And in, 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 in November, 
the, the football team was on the verge of going to the championship. They, you know, they had to, they had to end the season. All the players, 100 players lost their homes. Yes. All the coaches lost their homes. They had no place to live. So when, when they gathered in a makeshift classroom in, uh, in an airport warehouse three months later after the fire, they, they wanted to practice, start practicing. They, they didn't even have a football. But they decided they had to have a team because the town needed this. So the players living in cars and living in, you know, crammed apartments and living two hours away, and some of them were homeless. They put together a team for the 2019 season. I followed them that season, and it was incredible. They went unbeaten during the regular season. It was that was unbelievable. And the whole town, the town would come. The town was empty. It's all burned down. But they come people for whatever reason. The, the football stadium didn't burn down, and this high school didn't burn down. So people would come there every Friday to like celebrate life and see each other and, and, and then go off to their distant homes again because they've all lost their homes. So these are kids, PTSD, struggling with everything. But they, football was one thing that kept them alive, that kept the town growing again, and the town kind of had a rebirth. The town started its role. It's still a long way from getting, getting back. And it's still, it's still, a lot of it's all still burned up. But the, the, the football team led the inspiration for the town's rebuilding. And it's really quite, quite a story. I was honored to do it, and it's really been, and it's, it's made into a movie because it, you know, it's, it's, it would, that, that, and that makes sense because of the full fire aspect of it. Yeah, but yes, it's it's an, it's an incredible story. Well, congratulations on the book. Congratulations on the uh, on, on the movie. It's called Paradise Found. Um, Paradise Found. It's it, it's out November second. You can pre-order on Amazon now. All right, awesome, uh, and. Nobody better to tell it than Bill Plasky. Trust me when I say uh, there isn't anybody on this earth that can uh, spin it and write it like Bill Plasky. I'm telling you that from the heart, and you know that. Uh, thank you so much, Bill, for I spending. Love you, Vinny. Likewise. Thanks, Take care, fellas. You too. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. Buddy. You too. I can't wait to have you back on. That was Bill Plasky, the great Bill Plasky from the Los Angeles Times, uh, and also around the horn on ESPN. He's the best to do it, to be honest with you, and that's just flat out the truth. Uh, you're in the huddle with Lincoln Kennedy and Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahador, Raider Nation Radio, nine twenty a.m. on a Wednesday. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. You got something there? Damon? Yes, I do. Producer. Yes, I what do. We do. Got? What do we All got? Right, we got a text on the text line, guys. All right. They didn't leave a name, but the text says, the pass rush is making things easier on the cornerbacks and vice versa. What do you guys think about that? Uh, Lincoln? Absolutely true. Absolutely true. As I've said many times before, the key to a cover three defense or this style of defense is generating a pass rush with your front four. When you make things chaotic for a quarterback, they can't sit there and hold on to the ball and look down the field or survey or even go through their full progression because the pass rush is going to get there. So a lot of times you'll see those underneath routes, those middle. The, the softness of this defense is underneath in the middle. But you'll give that because as the field gets to the, more in the red zone, the field condenses. It becomes even harder to complete those, and you have less less area. So you're willing to give that up without giving up the big play. So absolutely right. The, the pass rush does complement the coverage and vice versa. And here's the thing about the Raiders, Lincoln. They do it with four players, yeah. generally speaking. So uh, it's not like you're sacrificing a cover person, a cornerback, a linebacker, a safety, whatever the case might be. Um, to create pressure because you're not getting the pressure necessarily from your your, your front. Uh, so because of that, 
not only is it helping the secondary do their job better, but it's also allowing the defense to devote more bodies to pass coverage. So, it, you know, yeah. do the math. Four uh, players rushing the quarterback, that means seven are in pass coverage. And Lincoln, I'm no mathematician, but how many players on any given play are eligible to catch a pass on mm-hmm. offense? Most is five. Yeah, five, right? Yeah. You yeah. have let, let, let's just count. Um, yeah, but I mean, but at the same point, you think about it. You know that that you you if you let all five of those go, all empty that formation or empty the backfield, then you're putting a lot more stress on your offensive line. Five on four. That's why we say one one on one matchup. Somebody's got to win. Right. And so even if the defensive ends are rushing out at an angle that forces the quarterback to step up in the pocket, you're hoping that your defensive tackles can collapse the pocket and get enough penetration to where if somebody is not immediately in the quarterback's face or hitting him right now, they're at least disrupting his view to be able to throw down the field. Yeah, so uh, winning, you know, when when it's bare minimum uh, pass protection, five guys, right? Yeah. And if if, if your four are whipping that five on a consistent basis – um, it's just a. It's kind of. It's probably a little bit demoralizing for your offensive line uh, and your quarterback who's getting hit. Uh, and number two, it means a. You know, uh, it, the math game on the back end is seven against five. But there's also times if you're winning that battle consistently, Lincoln. Then sometimes the offensive coordinator is going to say, "Well, we can't protect it with just five, even against their four. So we gotta keep uh, a back end, keep a tight end in." So now that becomes a four on seven, or yeah. even a three on seven. Sometimes they're going to keep the running back in uh, to block as well. So um, it's it's the best possible world when you can get a pass rush, a consistent pass rush, and this is what the Raiders have been doing with. Four guys. And well, that's that's also why they, they put so much emphasis in the rotation. And you saw it last week. I think when it was all said and done, the Raiders had 81 plays and the Dolphins maybe in the high 70s uh, on offense. Right. That's a lot of plays. And you saw how it was really – I mean, it was a, a battle of attrition towards the end, Vinny, where – um, you know, they were rotating guys in, uh, trying to get a, fair, a fresh pass rush. You know, guys were exhausted on both sides of the ball. So, um, you know, that, that's one of the reasons why they put so much emphasis in keeping, uh, what, what is it, 10 defensive linemen, 11 defensive linemen on the roster or something like that? Yeah, and it would have been more had Gerald McCoy Certainly. stayed healthy. Um, so, uh, and when we get back, we're going to get in, uh, dig into that a little bit more on that defensive line and what it actually means and what the numbers look like. Because as good as we've been talking about with the safety or with the uh, secondary, uh, I'm going to throw some numbers at you from the defensive line that are going to make you go, whoa, uh, and who they're doing it, how they're being ranked, and what they're generating uh, from that front four uh, is pretty special, and there's no doubt that it's contributing to what they're doing on the back end. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monster and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Wednesday.